So last Sunday, if you were here, there was a verse that um, I want to highlight again that stuck out to me, and it is where God says to Moses, last week we were looking at Moses and a conversation he and God had together, and Moses' leadership over the people of Israel, but God says in verse 33, 14, it says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. What a great concept that when God's presence is in our life, when he is there right with us, there is a sense of rest and peace in our life that, that this world does not have to offer. This world offers everything, you know, craziness at, at times. And it, it's connected to, we, we started off with the reading of Psalm 23, right? The, the Lord is my shepherd. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. This idea when we make the Lord our shepherd, when we seek him and just say, Lord, follow me, lead me, guide me. I'm, I'm, I, I want you to be my shepherd. There, there is that attendant peace. Now, there's times, of course, we, we don't feel that peace, but it's there, that sense of rest that, that he has. And what's interesting then is what Jesus said, and this is the connection I, I, didn't, I just made this week, is you know, where in Exodus they say, you know, I will give you rest. Jesus said the same thing, but he, he opened it up to anyone who, who felt the need for it. It's not just the people of Israel. Now he's speaking to each person. He says, come to me, all of you, any of you, who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Jesus, the Son of God, was making that same offer. My presence will be with you if you come to me, if you seek me, if you want it. Right? If you're willing to, to trust me enough to let me in your life and, and follow me, be, you know, I will lead you to that rest. And we said the Lord is my shepherd at Old Testament. In John 10, Jesus talks about, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me and my sheep learn to listen to my voice just like we did with the Old Testament um, shepherd. Now, what's interesting then, and here's where we're going, here's how I'm going to connect this thought to where we're at today, is God says, or uh, Jesus talking to Peter after Jesus had raised from the dead and he knew he was going to ascend back to the Father. He was not going to be in this world in the same way bodily. He gave a charge to Peter, one of his main disciples. And what does he say to Peter? Peter was was starting to stray. Peter had, had messed up. He had denied Jesus at the cross. But Jesus calls him back and says, Peter, I still have a plan for you. And he asks, there's this whole big thing. He asks Peter, do you love me? And, and Peter says, Lord, I do love you. You know it. You know that. You know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, says to him, feed my sheep. Jesus was giving Peter the charge to be the shepherd, to watch over on his behalf for those who were his sheep, his followers. And he calls Peter not just to think about himself, but to think about the sheep. They need followers. They need a shepherd who will lead and guide them. Feed my sheep. Another 
earlier he said, um, tend my sheep. And then one time he says, feed my lambs. Take care of those. So Peter took that call on in the leadership of the church. And this fulfills what God had said in the Old Testament, long before in Jeremiah 3.15, where God, the Lord says, I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. Shepherds after my own heart. And what this all points to is that the model for spiritual leadership, the model for leadership in, in the kingdom of Christ, in the church, is that of a shepherd. Leaders, church leaders, are called to be shepherds after the, the same heart as, as the Lord had for his people. And Christ, the chief shepherd, will call some among his flock, some among his people, to be shepherds on his behalf. And that's what's happening in 1 Peter 5. So Peter starts off, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. So an elder, we'll, we'll get to that more, but an elder is a spiritual leader in the church. So as I exhort the elders, he's re, Peter's referring to himself as an elder. Now what's interesting is at the beginning of the letter, Peter said, refers to himself as an apostle. And maybe you kind of know, Peter's one of the 12 apostles that Jesus appointed. But he's not saying to my fellow apostles. He, that's not the, the, the right word for the, the local leaders. He says, I'm an elder, and I know there's elders in, in your church congregation. So as a fellow elders, here's what we're, you know, so what kind of leadership you're going to have in the church, it's going to refer to the spiritual leaders in the church as the first word we're going to have is elders. It's the, the Greek word pres, presbyteros. This is different than the Old Testament. What kind of leaders did they have in the Old Testament? Spiritual leaders? Priests were the big one, right? The priests had the tabernacle and then later the temple. So the priests would do all the animal sacrifices. It wasn't necessary in the New Testament. Jesus was our sacrifice. And we, we don't need priests. We don't have a temple uh, where, you know, that's what the priest would be in charge of the temple. No, we don't need priests. Uh, the other spiritual leader in the Old Testament was prophets. And prophets would give a word from God. Oftentimes it would, the prophets would warn of judgment, of things to come. And, and I would say there's a role of prophecy in that speaking the word of God, but the spiritual leaders in the Bible are not the prophets. Um, and then the other thing you might think, as I were talking about, you might think, well, apostles. Because Jesus appointed apostles. Wouldn't, wouldn't apostles be the model for what a church leader would, would be in the New Testament? The word apostle means ones who are sent out. And Jesus' followers were called apostles because he sent them out from town to town. And he gave them the special kind of authority. And, and that authority was needed, in that, especially in that first generation of the church. Apostles are those who are sent out on mission. But elders is a different thing. Elders are not so much sent out. Elders are those who stay in the community and lead from within the community. So an apostle-type leader today, I would say, would be someone maybe who's sent on the mission field. Uh, or sent to maybe even plant a new church. But an established church, 
the, the elders are the ones who are the, the leaders from within. Now let's talk about this term, elder. If you've grown up in the church, especially a church like ours, the word elder seems very normal to you. And you are like, yeah, we have, we have elders. No big deal. You need to know something. Because I didn't grow up in a church like that. And, and the word elders for people out, out there is a bit of a weird word. Just, just be aware of that. It's not that we should stop using it. Um, when, when people hear elders, we, we ask this at youth group, like, what is an elder? And their response was, well, someone who's elderly. Yeah, right? And the word does mean older, you know, an older person, because usually elders are mature, spiritually mature. We'll talk about that. But, but the word calls to mind, like, village elders in... in in Africa or some other tribal community. Like, right, that's, that's what a normal person, not in the church, is going to hear when they hear elders. They're going to picture that. Or if they're a sci-fi geek like me, they're going to think of a movie like The Giver. Anyone read the book The Giver? Okay, three of you. Excellent. Um, <laughs> or they had a movie. So there's the movie, but the book's really good. So in the movie The, uh, the Giver, and this is fairly popular, the elders of the, the community and the giver, they, they chose your occupation. The big part of the book is a young person gets a certain age, and then the elders tell you what job you get. The elders tell you what, who you're going to marry. The elders decide all these things for you. That's what some people might hear when they hear the word elders. Just so you know, that is not, your el- our elders do not choose your job or your wife. Yeah. It, so... Um, at the youth group when they, they talked about like what are elders, Ted gave a great uh, word for it. He says, an elder is a servant leader. Probably the best description, if you just have a couple words, a servant leader. The other aspect about an elder is that they lead as part of a group of elders. They're not like solo in charge, you know, you think in the hierarchy, like you, you kind of military, you have colonel, general, like the, you have the one leader. Elders work as a team, as a group. And so it's not just one person's idea. It's the elders do a lot of talking together, getting each other's perspective on, on the, the issues and the struggles. Let me give you kind of a one-sentence def, definition of an elder. It is one who has grown in spiritual maturity and so can represent the community. Elders can speak for the church as a whole. They've, they're, they're acknowledged in their spiritual maturity and they're acknowledged by the congregation so that they can say, you know, they can be the ones that speak on behalf of the church. Okay, so, so it was, he's speaking as a fellow elder, but then what do the elders do? So verse 2 tells you, is the verb, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. So what do elders do? Elders do the work of shepherding. And that actually leads to the second word that, that comes up with the spiritual leaders of the church is that of pastor. Now you might say, the word pastor is not in that verse. It is. The word shepherd and pastor are the same word in Greek. Pastor is just the Latin version of that, that word shepherd. And so pastor is a shepherd of 
people rather than literal sheep. So pastors and elders, it's, the roles are kind of mixed together, but at, at East Glenville, they work together to watch over the congregation, the spiritual direction of the church. At, at East Glenville, the elders are elected from those who are already serving member, the members who have already shown their spiritual maturity. Um, and the elders here are, are volunteers. They are, it's, the, most of them are guys who have a full-time job, and they, they eld on the side. Uh, now, every, a lot of churches are different. I think that's pretty normal to have, you know, your group of elders. We have, we have a current elder board of five or six people, and then we have, but if you're elected an elder, you're always an elder because you always have that role, even if you're not currently serving on the board. So we, uh, just to give people a picture, if you are an elder at East Glenville, which means you might be currently on the board or, you know, you've been on the board in the past, would you stand just so they know you don't wear robes and you have, um, so here are. Elders, I know there's more in sound. We have some up upstairs, so wave to them. They're normal guys, right? They all, they're full-time jobs, you know, or you can be seated now. Um, but just to give you a picture, that, that's elders here. I, and like, like I said, they are people from within the community that they're, they're recognized by the congregation. At our annual meeting, we'll actually elect two new elders that were... Um, that's part of the plan for that, that day. I had a, a meeting with some pastors at a different church, and this surprised me as we were talking about how, how they operate. They, all of their elders are on staff. And basically, in other words, said all their elders are pastors, and they're all paid. And so that's just a different format. I don't know how common that is. I've not seen that before. I think the norm is is to have an elder board, but then also to have a pastor or even sometimes a team of pastors that work with the elders. So what's the difference? The, the difference is, for me, it, this is full-time. I have the time to invest in operating the church, preparing for messages, meeting with people. I give my full-time to ministry, and so and paid so that I, you know, I'm able to do that. The other difference is education. I, I've uh, went to seminary, got a Master's of Divinity, you know, and have gone training throughout, you know, my life, gone, you know, other pastoral training things. And so there's, you know, education and training. Uh, but know this, I'm still not appointed by some far-off denomination and then sent here. Uh, this church called me. To be the pastor. It was up to you. I was not sent here. I was called here by the church. Um, the, we do have a denomination. It's called the Four C's, the Conservative Congregational Christian Conference. And I remember meeting with the conference minister, the kind of the head of that, like a few years before I came here. And here, here's the most that happened. I, you know, I was talking to Ron. Ron's a great guy. He says, you should take a look at that. He knew I was searching. Take a look at that church in New York. I'm like, what, New York? Really? Okay. And uh, so he pointed me here, and I think he probably, the search committee says, hey, there's this, this uh, guy looking for a church back in, you know, out in Ohio. Maybe you should give him a look. That's probably about the most that happened as far as 
the denomination, but it was up to the church to, to call me. Um, so pastors and elders at East Glenville worked together to, for the spiritual direction of the church, to pastor the church. All right, keep going. What do shepherds do? So shepherd the flock that is among you, exercising oversight. So that, that, that underline word, exercising oversight. What do shepherds do? They watch over the sheep. That's really what that, that word is. They're watching over on behalf of God. That's what a shepherd does, right? Shepherd watches over, sees the sheep, sees the dangers, sees where the sheep would go. And this actually gives us a third word. So the first two words uh, we had was elder, and then we had uh, shepherd or pastor. And now the third word is overseer. And that's actually exercising oversight is the verb form of the word overseer. In Greek, that is episkopos, which is, you know, you, you may refer to the Episcopal church. That's where that, that word comes from. Um, to be to watch over the sheep means being nearby, within eyesight of the sheep. It, you can't do it from afar, at least very well. So when I first, this is before I was a pastor, but I was still in ministry. When Cheryl and I got married, I was in southern Ohio, and she was a teacher in Cleveland, Cleveland area. So we we're about two hours difference we're, we're getting married. She had a, a full-time teaching job, and I had a ministry job. I was doing outreach youth ministry. And, and one of her co-teachers says, you don't need to give up your job to go down there. You know, you guys should just move in the middle, and then you'll each be an hour away, and you could each, you know, drive to work. And, and that would, you know, would that, that would maybe work teacher-wise, I guess, to be an hour away from to drive. But that doesn't work ministry-wise. A shepherd has to be nearby to watch over the sheep, to be able to see them. So we didn't take that route. But, um, but I remember that conversation taking place. And so instead, Cheryl moved to south, southern Ohio uh, to be with me for a few years. Uh, keeping going. So shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. And then he gives three... Three things that not this way, but instead this way. Not buts, right? Not, but instead by this. And it had to do with the attitude, motive, and manner of leaders. So first, the attitude. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, but willingly. Not reluctantly, but willing to serve God by serving others. As Peter wrote this, I wonder if he was recalling how when he first met Jesus and, and they were in their fishing boats and Jesus said to Peter, hey, let's, let's go out and, and go fishing. Let's put out for fish, throw out your nets. And Peter says, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught a thing. Like Peter really was reluctant to, to, to the nets he had just finished cleaning to go, to go out again. But then he says, but because you say so, I will do it. He was reluctant, but he did it. And then there, there's known as the miraculous catch of fish. And ever after, G Peter was won over. And so now he, he decided then, he decided to follow Christ. And if God, you know, if God calls me, if Christ calls me, I'm going to go. That's the attitude that a, a, a shepherd, a servant needs to have 
We're called to serve God even when it's difficult. And if he calls me, I will go. I will serve, not reluctantly. So that's the attitude. The second is the motive. Not for personal gain, but out of love for God. Here it says not for shameful gain. Um, you know, to, to gain just for your selfish needs. It's, 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 so the local elders or volunteers, they sacrifice time and energy not for any reward in, in this life per se. They're serving for a reward that comes later. Um, pastors don't take a job uh, in ministry as a career choice. I remember the call of God that was on a way, weekend away when, when I heard God lead me away from the direction I was heading career-wise and to say, I, I want you to work in ministry to try to reach people with the gospel. And so for me, though it is a full-time job and, you know, I make enough to support my family, um, you know, I have this calling to serve the Lord. That, that's the call of a pastor. Um, now, I have friends who don't get paid or don't get paid much. They're bivocational. I remember one pastor colleague, um, I didn't know him well, but we, we would interact some, and I knew his kids because they were involved in some things. And he, he uh, served a church, but he was also a garbage man. And so he would drive into Columbus in the middle of the night, work, work like 2 or 3 a.m., and that was how he was able, because it was a really small church. And alas, he actually got hit by a drunk driver while there. And, and I remember, that's why it stood out to me, that, that, um, but that bivocational, it's an honorable path for those who, who do that. And it's a, it's a difficult path. Um, but I want you to know uh, that here at East, East Glenville, you know, when, when my private jet needs washed, I do it myself. <laughs> just, just kidding, literally just kidding. No, no private jet, no yacht. Um, I've, I've a, three vehicles that are all over 100,000 miles, so just, you know. Um, leadership style. So the, the motive, and the third is the manner or leadership style. Pastors and elders lead not by giving commands, but by setting the example. It says not domineering over those in your charge. It's not about giving orders and telling people what to do. It's by setting the example, showing the way, rather than just telling the way. And that, that's key for, for, elder, for, for any leaders, but, but you, you, you show people, you lead by being a servant to others. That's, that's what Jesus taught his disciples. And I'm sure Peter's thinking about how when Jesus said they were having a disagreement among the disciples, and they were arguing, you know, who's, who's the most important? And Jesus says, guys, listen to me. You are not to be like the Romans or the Greeks, who, who those in charge there, they lord it over the people they're in charge of. They love to give commands. They love to do it that way. Not so with you. Whoever wants to be great as one of my servants must be the servant, even the slave, of, of others. That's the way of service within the kingdom of God. You lead by being a servant. So I've only gone through three verses, all this. So verse 4. 
And when the chief shepherd appears, so you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Pastors are under shepherds. So the, Jesus is the chief shepherd. And we are under shepherds in a sense. We, we shepherd under his authority. We're accountable for him. And, and we have to answer for how we, how we operate on his behalf as we do that service. But it does speak of the reward that we, we have. And so, just so you know, we're uh, at uh, yesterday? Yes, yesterday, with a men's group had a, the indoor Olympics, and we had a little competition. And I just want it to be known that I won, you know, our team won the gold medal, and I have this to prove it. And so we competed for this award, and we worked really hard in all the, the things we did. But we talked about what is the, the, the crown that we are striving for. And this word in verse 4 is called a stephanos. And here's an example of it. So it, the stephanos is not the crown of a king. It's not the crown of royalty. It is the crown of a victor. It's what in the Greek Olympics they would have given someone who won the race. And it talks about in the scriptures, run the race so that you can get this crown. And I love how Peter says, you know, normal crown, crowns, they, they fade, right? They were probably just made of leaves, right? They would wilt and wither. They would only last a little time. But, but, but strive for the crown that is unfading in its glory. And the service that we give to the Lord and Savior is something that, that is, is with Him. And that's what we want to strive for, knowing that it, it's held there for us in that day, that we want to serve well. And this, this is not just pastors and elders, but all of us. What we're striving for, may, we may not see it in this life. We may not get honored for what we do for the Lord. But He does not forget and he sees all that is done. And he sees the sacrifices that are made. And maybe you've, you've tried to serve God and didn't feel appreciated. Know that the, the Father in heaven sees what is done in secret. And he has this awaiting those who serve him. Verse 5 sort of speaks beyond than just the elders. So it switches in the conversation to speak to the whole congregation. He says, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. We are in a, a time and era where there's a lot of generational conflict. I, that you see it in politics, you see it just in the world, like, oh, there, I mean, things have changed so much from generation to generation technology-wise, and and it seems like there's whole different viewpoints. And what I think this is calling for, it's, it's, it's speaking to those who are younger, saying you have things you need to learn from those who are older. Don't just dismiss them saying they're out of touch, they're out of date. Right? Those who are younger, you need to, to listen to, be subject to the, the spiritual leaders in your church. But then it makes clear, actually, all of us are called to, to be humble. 
It's to clothe yourselves in humility, all of you. There are times when we all will be under leadership. I have been under leadership, and at times still am under leadership of others. Right? We are all times when we need to follow and listen and humble ourselves and think, I, I, may, I may need to hear something. I may need to learn from someone else. Um, and there might be times, other of us, where we're in leadership. Either way, the call is to be humble and not proud. We're called to grow in spiritual maturity. So being an elder does not mean just you get older. Not everyone who gets older is fit to be an elder, fit to be a spiritual leader, because the call is to grow in spiritual maturity, to learn through life experiences. There is a sense, as I was thinking about, you have to, you have to have some time in to 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 do this. Um, talks about God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Can I say, as someone who's served in ministry now for 20, 30 years, God humbles his servants. He does. Um, I, I think I knew a lot more about ministry when I first started than I do now. And... and um, you learn to rely on God's grace and not your own wisdom or giftedness, not even on how great you look. You learn to not... Um, I am really glad I did not go straight from college to becoming a pastor in my 20s. Um, I did the first 11 years, I did outreach, youth ministry, work for Young Life. I think that was... I learned a lot of things. It was great ministry time. I was ordained as a pastor in 2006, in my mid-30s, and I still probably was not eld enough. Uh, but thankfully, God teached, and I could always regularly consulted with older pastors who had insight and wisdom and learned from others. There is a sense of we are, no matter how long you've been doing it, there are, are things you need to learn from others and be guided. And that's why I'm glad it, it is a community we have an elder team. It's not just one person decides everything. And so we can respond and hear from each other and gain insights on, on the best way to move forward on these decisions. Verses 6 to 9, I think what's ha happening is Peter is saying, Shepherd, here are some things you need to watch out for on behalf of the sheep. There may be three things that are dangerous for the sheep or three things to keep a watch out for. So let me even just kind of read this again. He says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. So there are three things, three dangers for the sheep that a shepherd is watching out for. One is pride. Sheep are stubborn. And so are people. We want to get our own way. And because of that, sheep can easily go astray. And they need leaders who will point them and remind them, point them towards Christ and remind them He is the way. It's a lot of what we do in our, our sermon times. It's just reminding Christ is what we need. The Lord is our shepherd. You may think going your own way will get you something it will not. And so as a shepherd, we're constantly called to, to point people 
towards Christ. He is the, the answer that, that, that you're looking for, not your own way. The second danger for sheep, I think, is anxiety. Sheep, literal sheep, are, are, are fearful. Skit, skittish? Skit, yeah, something like that. Skittish. Easily frightened. A good shepherd takes concern for the needs of the sheep, who, who sees, sees them with a tender heart. There's a, a time when it says Jesus had, he saw the crowds, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because he saw that they were like sheep without a shepherd. That's the heart of Jesus, and that's the heart good shepherds are called to have, to have compassion. Um, Jesus was told, feed the lambs, take care of the young ones, the vulnerable ones, the ones, make sure they don't get left behind, tend to the hurting and the wounded. That's part of the role of a shepherd. And then third, shepherds, the danger for the sheep is the adversary, the evil one, the devil, describes as a roaring lion looking for one to devour. He wants to lead people away from God and will use all kinds of means to do that, including false teaching. Jesus' other place says, beware of, of wolves in sheep's clothing. And he's referring to false teachers who will be amidst the sheep, right? Who will be in the church who nevertheless are not teaching clearly from God's word, but instead are, have other agendas going on. And the, the shepherds in the church are called to watch over and teach teach the truth, ensure that the truth of God's word and teach is taught, ensure that the, the message of the gospel is the central message of the church. And so there's a role for shepherds in keeping watch for false teaching. And the, I'll say the elders of this church take that seriously. We, we, we value the, the clear teaching of, of God's word here. And it means then that shepherds need to be grounded and stand strong in the truth for themselves. They need to learn God's word and know it well enough that you can recognize falsehood when, when, it, when it appears. And so that verse 9, I think, points to that. It says, resist him, the devil, from firm in your faith, knowing that the same kind of suffering um, same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. It's talking about, as Christians, is not always easy. It's a challenging thing. You're going to face suffering in this life. But, but it's the importance of being firm in your faith. I want to speak especially to the men for a minute. Because you could be hearing the sermon as, oh yeah, that's what the, the leaders need to do. And this applies really to all of us, all people. But men especially, I want you to understand, you, this, this is speaking to you. The idea of you need to be on guard against spiritual falsehood for yourself and, and for your family. If there were a danger to your family, would you not want to take steps to be able to protect your wife and kids and those around you? Well, there are spiritual dangers out there that are real. And... And there's a tendency of men to, to have this thought. Well, I bring home the, 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 the paycheck, right? I take care of that. My wife is in charge of spiritual things, 
right? My wife will oversee the spiritual life of our kids. My wife will oversee our spiritual direction. And, and men can get in that thing and miss out on their role of, of, no, you are called to be a spiritual leader within your family. And, and don't miss that. Don't tune out. Make sure you're tuning in to what God is calling you to do so that you are ready to stand firm in your faith, to be grounded and stand strong in the truth, which means you've got to know the Bible. You've got to know what the gospel is. What, what is the gospel? Can you define that if someone asked you? Uh, otherwise, we are in danger of the adversary who would seek to lead us astray. One of our, our hopes, goals at East Glenville is to give the discipleship opportunities. Both men and women, there's a women's ministry, they're doing mentoring kind of on the same lines. I know the men's ministry, we've been talking about this a lot. So we have a Wednesday night study that right now we're looking at some of the key truths of the Reformation to make sure we understand those. We're also looking now for dis- opportunities for discipleship for, for some of the, the younger men. And those are things we're talking about how to do. What I would encourage you, men, is to, to, to take initiative and, and seek to become a disciple. How are you growing and becoming grounded in the truth? Don't just leave this for others to figure out. Closing. The, ver- the last couple verses, verse 10, says, And after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, him- will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. The Lord is my shepherd. Right? We rem- that's the first and most important truth for all of us. He, we turn to him. He has called us. We hear his voice. We seek to follow what he says. Following Christ is not easy. But the struggles of this world are for a little while. We have an eternal glory in him that he's pointing us towards. And so we know that when we face the struggles, even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil, for he is with us. His presence is in our midst. We know that when we have enemies, it says he will prepare a banquet table in the presence of our enemies. He's providing for us in those, those challenging times of life. And we know that when this life is over, that we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Friends talked about the roaring lion, the enemy. Remember, we, we have a lion on our behalf. We sang that song, the lion of Judah is more powerful than any other thing. We can trust in him. And best of all, the lion of Judah became the lamb. The lamb who gave his life to take away our sin so that we can be with him for eternity. That is the shepherd that we ha- can have in our life. Let me pray. Jesus, I thank you that you are our good, our good shepherd and that you, out of, out of love for the people of this world, out, out of concern for the, those, the sheep without a shepherd, that you gave your life, you laid it down, that we might have life in you, that our sins would be forgiven and that we would have a, a relationship with you for eternity. Lord, help us know and hear this, this message of truth. Help us know that your presence will go with us, 
and that you will give us rest. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and sing our closing song, Mighty to Save.
one last verse that I think be worth memorizing. It's Isaiah 26.3. You will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. May we go in God's peace and may, may our mind be stayed on him throughout this week. Amen.